space is now open for business. Take me Welcome to the sixth episode of Space Ventures Radio, the podcast that takes a close look at the products, teams, and business models behind today's most exciting space ventures. My name is Raleigh Warner, and I'll be your host. With over 3,000 small satellites projected to be launched over the next six years, owned and operated by dozens of companies, the constraints on building dedicated ground stations to facilitate communication will only get more serious. That gap in the market is exactly what I'm going to be focusing on today with a company called Atlas Space Operations. So if you're curious about how Atlas will make a successful business out of operating a sophisticated network of ground stations across the world, stay tuned. Here we go. Here's the upshot. Atlas Space Operations was founded in 2015 on the principle of advancing commercial interest in space by providing access to more affordable communications from space to Earth. To do that, the company focuses on developing communications infrastructure that facilitates fast, reliable communication with spacecraft at a fraction of the price of current options. The major pain point that Atlas aims to relieve in the market is easing the bottleneck between satellite owners and operators and their customers. Their primary product is the Atlas Freedom Platform, which offers, quote, everything you need for gathering, monitoring, and parsing information from space and delivering it to the end user. It's marketed as a customizable, scalable, cloud-based platform with an intuitive user interface. The platform can enable everything from mobile command of a satellite to reliable data routing to end users. So that's the skinny on Atlas Space Operations. Now I'm going to jump deeper into the company's business model. I'll do a quick episode breakdown here just so you know what you're getting into. I'll be using a tool called a business model canvas to help guide and visualize the conversation around Atlas's business model. So if you'd like, you could follow along with the slides accompanying this section of the show. The relevant links are in the show notes. So I'm going to break the business model down into nine sections, which I'll explain in a moment, after which I'll briefly talk about Atlas's management team, its roadmap, and conclude with some key performance indicators to watch in the coming months and years. Let's do it. All right, so a business model canvas is a tool for visualizing the nine key components of a company's business model. I'll start by quickly describing how the business model canvas is structured. Again, it's split into nine sections, each representing a critical element in the business model. To start, I'll focus on value propositions, customer segments, customer relationships, channels, and revenue streams. And you can imagine these five sections, everything on the right side of the canvas, as the quote-unquote front stage of the business, essentially everything that the customer and the public can see about the company. Then we'll look at the left side of the canvas, which is everything that happens backstage, if you will, to enable that exchange of value to happen. The left side of the canvas consists of key activities, key resources, key partners, and cost structure. 
So that's the architecture of the business model canvas. But before we jump in, let's go a little deeper into the product that Atlas is offering to the market. So the magic underlying the Atlas Freedom platform appears to be its methodology for cutting costs. From what I can gather, the Freedom platform relies on quote-unquote scheduling algorithms, presumably to reduce bottlenecks by spreading out data transfers as efficiently as possible. For instance, if every single customer wanted to downlink satellite data at 12 p.m. every day, there would be a serious bandwidth issue. However, since the platform can tie the cost of downlinking data to when the downlink occurs, Atlas can incentivize customers who don't need data at peak hours to transmit when the network is underused. You could think of it like demand response technologies in the energy supply market. And the best part for Atlas is that the more customers and the more data they receive, the better their scheduling algorithms will get. I can imagine machine learning and AI engineers having some fun with that challenge. Now we're going to discuss the business model, starting with what value propositions this product offers, and then flowing into the other eight components of the model. Okay, so Atlas's first value proposition is low prices. In fact, the company claims that it can provide its users coverage at a small fraction of the cost. The next value proposition is simple scheduling. The Freedom platform creates cost savings by maximizing antenna usage. Since customers care about getting their data received and sent as quickly and cheaply as possible, the platform automates the scheduling process on behalf of the customer. Another value proposition is an intuitive user interface. As we'll examine later, Atlas's business model only generates small margins, which means that they need a lot of customers. As such, having a highly intuitive UI will be crucial to their business model and to their customers since they won't have the capacity to offer extensive support to any individual customer. So who exactly are Atlas's customers? Atlas's primary customer segment will be commercial satellite owners and operators. There are multiple draws for this audience, but cost reduction and not needing to buy and maintain ground stations are the two big ones. Government agencies could be a good customer segment to look at as well. I assume whatever level of security that Atlas's Freedom Platform has will work for at least some government agencies. However, branches like the Air Force, which sends highly sensitive data, will most likely look for stronger encryption. And finally, academic institutions helped spark the CubeSat revolution, so more and more universities are launching and operating small satellites. As such, the Freedom Platform is a great solution for tracking, operating, and receiving data for this audience, as it's cost-effective and comes with an intuitive interface. Let's examine what key relationships these customers will expect to have with Atlas. Customer relationships are the key elements of the relationship with customers that Atlas will need to offer and maintain. The most important for them is customizable plans. Some companies will have peak and off-peak times when data usage is higher or lower. Companies like Descartes Labs, for instance, monitor crops that have actual seasons. Off-season, their data requirements may be substantially lower than during the growing season. Also, network uptime and reliability will be essential. Customers may permit some marginal level of downtime, since they'll be saving a lot of money by using Atlas's products and services, but the moment downtime crosses the line into substantial value lost or compromise relationships between Atlas's customers and the end user of the data, Atlas will be in trouble. So let's talk about channels. How will Atlas connect with their customer segments? In many respects, this will be a standard sales and marketing play, much like a SaaS company selling monthly subscription software. 
They want to implement a mix of paid and pull, like inbound strategies from SEO, PR, and social media to generate top of funnel leads and then involve a knowledgeable sales team to find good customer product fits and close some deals. So assuming Atlas continues to build its customer base, how will they make money? Atlas has two revenue streams. The first is pay-per-minute pricing between $2 and $15 per minute, according to a blog post on their website. So if you only need to communicate with your satellite for four minutes per pass, you pay for four minutes. The second is offering dedicated infrastructure. Since Atlas has a specialty in not only finding ground station networks to leverage, but also in building ground stations... Atlas can extend that skill set to customers looking for dedicated infrastructure for their satellites and their business. I'd venture a guess that this service will be Atlas's premium product, where they can reap healthy margins compared to their low-margin pay-per-minute pricing that aims to generate substantial revenues through scale and customer retention. Now let's explore the left side of the business model canvas, everything that goes on behind the scenes, starting with the key activities Atlas will need to perform to succeed. First and foremost, platform development is a key activity. If they're going to create a platform with simple scheduling of a complex system that also has an intuitive interface, they're going to need skilled engineers who know how to create compelling UX within an app. Next up is network growth. As Atlas racks up customers, they'll need to acquire further ground station assets, both physical and in terms of bandwidth usage from their ground station partners. Network growth will not only be essential for meeting customer demand, but it could prove essential to profitability, as greater network usage may result in some economies of scale with their network partners. Atlas's third key activity is infrastructure upkeep. Since they implement a mix of both third-party-owned and proprietary ground stations, they'll need to make sure the stations they own are working properly. This is related to the uptime and reliability customer relationship they'll need to maintain. And finally, and this may seem obvious, but it's worth mentioning that customer acquisition isn't just something that Atlas can be okay at. Signing up customers will be a critical activity in this company, much in the same way that for Amazon in its early days, user acquisition was absolutely essential. Now let's talk about the key resources that Atlas will need to have to make its business model work. First and foremost, cooperative antennas. These are the ground station partners that will literally perform the data downlinks from satellites. Thus, they're a critical resource for Atlas's business model. Next up, Atlas's owned ground stations. This resource ties into the key activity of network growth and stability. Third, the Atlas Freedom Platform itself, the software that Atlas's customers use. The quality and any IP underpinning the product is definitely a key resource. Now, in terms of key partnerships, Atlas's cooperative antenna partners are really important. They need to make sure that they maintain excellent relationships and provide a lot of value to these partners. I'm guessing that Atlas has signed on for long-term contracts as a way to provide value up front and build relationships with these partners now. It would also create a nice competitive advantage against new entrants or incumbents who might be considering a move into the low-cost satellite communications space. Next, since Atlas's ground stations will be situated across the globe, they'll likely need maintenance partners in each region or country where those stations are positioned. The cost outlay for having a dedicated team member at each ground station would be way too high to make any sense, so this won't be much of an issue, but there will be some logistics involved in coordinating with different partners around the world. Now onto the final piece of the business model canvas, the cost structure section. 
Atlas Space Operations Platform is hosted on Amazon Web Services. AWS offers cloud web hosting solutions that provide businesses with a flexible, highly scalable, and low-cost way to deliver their websites and web applications. Basically, Atlas will pay AWS depending on how much cloud computing it requires. The second major cost will be both building and maintaining their ground stations and paying to use cooperative antennas. And finally, developing and improving upon the Atlas Freedom platform will be a large part of their cost structure in terms of the personnel that they hire to do so. So there you have it. From the information that's available about Atlas Space Operations, this canvas is a look at what Atlas's business model will look like. Let's talk quickly about the founding team here. CEO Sean McDaniel and COO Mike Carey are the two co-founders of Atlas Space Operations and both bring extensive relevant experience. Both have also served in leadership roles in the United States Air Force. McDaniel brings over 15 years of space system engineering and program management experience from his time at Northrop Grumman Space Technology and Assured Space Access Technologies, where he was also CEO. Carey has over 30 years of experience in satellite and space operations at several companies, including AAC Microtech, and was also the director of space forces in the Air Force. Needless to say, this is a team who understands deeply the space industry and the resources required to serve it from a communications perspective. Let's talk about competition. The closest direct competitor to Atlas is Odyssey Space. That's spelled A-U-D-A-C-Y. Odyssey is a communication services provider looking to build the first commercial data and tracking relay system in space. Essentially, they're offering customers 24-7 connectivity, much like Atlas is doing, through their constellation of relay satellites and on-Earth ground stations. Odyssey is also developing a, quote, modern browser-based real-time data visualization platform to monitor and operate complex engineering systems in a spaceflight missions operations setting. Basically, it's doing exactly what Atlas Freedom Platform is doing. Odyssey's platform is called the Quindar Mission Operations Platform. An interesting point to note about Quindar is that it's an open source project right now, available on GitHub. Part of Odyssey's business model is outsourcing the development of its software platform to users around the world while providing it for free. Now let's talk about the market opportunity. This one is a little bit hard to assess, but I'll posit a way to get a ballpark of it. So Odyssey, Atlas's closest competitor, is reportedly planning to raise $750 million in total financing over the next few years, $250 million in funding, and $500 million more in government-backed debt. Since that $250 million in funding will come from venture capital dollars, there must exist a market opportunity at least 10 times that amount. So if we're thinking at a bare minimum, the market for space-based communications and mission operations is something around $2.5 billion. Again, that's the bare minimum. However, I expect that the market is substantially larger than that, especially considering the meteoric growth in small satellites being built and launched into orbit. Now let's talk about roadmap. What's ahead for Atlas Space Operations? Atlas has some big plans for the future space economy, specifically in deep space. Atlas plans to inaugurate a commercial deep space communications service by July 2017 called the Interplanetary Satellite Communications Network. This network will offer an alternative to NASA's much-in-demand multi-continent deep space network with customers ranging from asteroid mining companies like Deep Space Industries or Planetary Resources, as well as government agencies and even Google's Lunar X Prize participants. 
The range on their deep space infrastructure is reported to be up to 30 million kilometers, or nearly 19 million miles. Considering the numerous deep space exploration planned over the coming decades, this could be a fantastic extension of the company's current business model. And to wrap up the episode, I'm going to talk about some potential threats in the marketplace the company may want to account for, as well as discuss what KPIs, or key performance indicators, will help inform how well the company is doing. These will be the metrics to watch for Atlas in the months and years ahead. So to start with concerns, fractional pricing likely offers razor-thin margins. This is by no means a recipe for limited profitability in the long run. For example, Amazon.com operated on thin margins for a long time. Then they used their key resources to develop new revenue streams like Amazon Web Services. The news about the Deep Space Communications Network is exciting because it's for a very specific audience. It could serve as a premium or niche product, adding a high-margin revenue stream to their business model. Another concern is a possible trend emerging towards more in-house ground stations owned by companies and organizations themselves. Via Satellite reported on a trend in the satellite industry towards, quote, flexible payloads, essentially having payloads be primarily software-based so customers can reprogram the payload activities. And Scott Lindell, who's the VP of Strategic Planning for Commercial Space at Lockheed Martin, said the company has, quote, reorganized its internal structure to bring the ground segment and the space segment elements into one organization to help enable the architecting of end-to-end solutions. So in many respects, this trend could be a threat for Atlas if more companies like Lockheed decide to invest in in-house ground stations. But it could also be an opportunity for Atlas. They could angle their R&D towards accommodating the needs of customers with flexible payloads. Either way, it's something for them to watch closely. A couple of recommendations I might have for Atlas. First, invest in some inbound marketing. It's still early days for the new space movement, and turnkey communications and operations solutions are still sparse for small satellites. As such, there's definitely an opportunity for a company like Atlas to own a large piece of the conversation around affordable and intuitive communications tech. I'm somewhat partial to this particular channel, but investing in some SEO to generate inbound leads could be a really nice way for Atlas to start growing its business. My second recommendation would be to keep an eye on what niche products could be spun off. As I mentioned earlier, the thin margin game can be tough and risky, and obviously requires an immense scale to generate compelling returns. Considering how many subcategories there are in the small satellite market, it's possible that Atlas could use their existing resources to develop high-margin niche products. Although not heavily promoted on their website, Atlas does mention that they can make custom dedicated solutions for customers. This activity may yield higher margins and help boost profitability. Also, there could be a nice opportunity to arrange dedicated infrastructure in a way where Atlas can use the antennas when a customer is not using them, adding to their network of cooperative antennas. So let's talk KPIs. From my view, the major KPIs will be CAC, or customer acquisition costs, including retention, as well as churn, which is the rate at which customers are lost on a monthly or regular basis. With regard to CAC, if Atlas spends too much acquiring customers, then they cut into their already low margins. And with regard to churn, there are only so many companies operating satellites today. A churn rate beyond a few percentage points could indicate serious trouble with achieving growth in the market. All in all, Atlas is a really interesting company who's building intelligently towards a future of more seamless and more affordable communication between satellites, their operators, and the end user. In my estimation, 
any company that's innovating ways to reduce the cost of either launching or operating spacecraft is doing the world an enormous service, and I'm really excited to see what Atlas does. That's it for this episode of Space Ventures Radio, the podcast that digs deep into new space ventures. I'm Raleigh Werner, and it's been awesome sharing this exciting company with you. You can stay updated on the latest with Space Ventures Radio on our website, www.spaceventuresradio.com, or on Twitter. The updated handle is at New Space Radio. Thanks for listening, and have an awesome day. Take me home.